Hello, everyone. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. And welcome to the lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 88, an episode, I think, that will live in infamy as 88 marks the final lineup ride with my co-producer and collaborator and friend, Ryan Fawcett. Mr. Fawcett, as we discuss in today's podcast, is leaving for his next grand adventure, earning a well-deserved opportunity away from the WSL. Ryan has been here since the very beginning, uh, quickly proving himself as a leader inside the building for the burgeoning podcast part of the business. And he's been steadfast, intelligent, passionate, professional, and brave. I'm personally sad to lose him, but very proud of him for earning this next opportunity in his career. Fittingly, uh, Ryan and I are joined today by our valued colleagues in Lindsay Volk, Kim Hogan, Dan Willen, and Henry Bear for our break room episode where we dig into the behind the scenes movements during the Rip Curl WSL finals, dissect the moving parts of the WSL Challenger series and answer listener questions. And on the topic of the WSL Challenger series, the Mayo Vizla Aracera Pro is happening right now in Portugal. Following Aracera, we'll have the Quicksilver Pro France in Landis and round out the 2021 season with the Haleiva Pro in Hawaii. All events are streaming live at worldsurfleague.com. Tune in to find out who's next in terms of qualifying for the elite WSL Championship Tour in 2022. All right, episode 88. Please enjoy the lineup's fourth installment of The Break Room. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. 
Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, it's got... He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, the lineup, break room, installment, something, four or five. And we're joined once again by Lindsay Volt, Dan Willen, and the, the newly crowned Team Pizza, consisting of Kim Hogan, Hendo Bear, and Ryan Fawcett. Guys, congratulations on winning the, the pizza bet for the Rip Curl WSL Finals predictions. So good. Thank mm. you for the pizza. Thanks, guys. Deserved pizza. So dank. Thank you. Particularly painful. But we're going to dive into <laughs> all of that goodness uh, later on in the episode. I appreciate everyone coming back. And we're coming back on a, a pretty momentous day, a, a sad day in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, my colleague, uh, the leader of podcasting at the WSL, uh, Ryan Fawcett, is uh, departing, departing the building for greener pastures. So, so Ryan, why don't you tell us what's going on uh, um, and what are the next steps for you? Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon, the departed. I'm right up there, man. I'm, I'm leaving the building. What was the victim's name? The Departed? <laughs> the Departed. That was one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. It's a good movie. movie. Um, I, yeah, so I'm leaving the WSL, going to um, a, a production company that's looking to build out their podcast networks. And um, it's sad, bittersweet, but um, you know, I, I was thinking about what to say on this podcast, and I really don't know what to say. But um, I guess first I just wanted to say thank you to, to you guys, to Dave specifically for, uh, what is this, 88 episodes now that we did of the lineup. That's a lot of podcasting. Um, and thank you to the listeners, to everyone that's listening to this. Um, you know, we started this like just kind of as a whim. Dave often talks about how it's a side project for both of us, and it really was. Uh, you know, one uh, summer at the Surf Ranch, we sat in an Airstream and talked to Coco Hope. Felipe Toledo um, and a couple others, Peter Townend, and, and we put that up as a podcast and people liked it and um, it would stuck around and it became successful and now it is what it is. Um, and, and that, I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of, um, I'm just very proud of what we, what, we, what we built, what we did. Being a part of it, it, you know, a lot of people don't know, but I kind of always dreamed to work in podcasting and we did it as a side project and, you know, I had it as a hobby before that, but now it's become my full-time career. And so to be able to see that kind of thing happen of like, oh, this is just the thing we do for fun. And then it's successful. And then all of a sudden, like now I'm going to go do it as a full-time career is pretty, um, that's the dream. That's always been the dream for me. So uh, I'm pretty stoked, pretty excited to about where I'm going and about what we built. Super sad to leave the podcast. Um, but you know, I was thinking back about that question we answered last time on, uh, on the podcast of, has anyone ever made you want to quit your job? <laughs> and it's kind of serendipitous that, um, I'm leaving, uh, you know, pretty soon after that question was answered. And so, uh, my answer to that question is a definite yes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, letting I, I it just, fly on episode eighty-eight. You right? gotta let you gotta air a little bit out, right? <laughs> and you guys can edit it out if you want. But um, no, nah, it's, we it's, don't have anyone to edit it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just like, all the ums and the fucks and everything. This is going straight. It all to the stays platform. in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Hindo's gonna take over at my producing duties, and he's been helping out a lot, obviously, over the past uh, twenty or thirty episodes. So. Um, you know, I have full faith in Hindo being able to take this on as long as he wants to. Um, but, you know, it, it's been really, really great. There's been a lot of fun stuff. There's been a lot. I've learned a lot. I, I often say that, like, I didn't know as much as everybody else about surfing. But after listening to like 87 episodes of people talk about surfing for two hours a day, like it's I have learned a ton about surfing. And uh, I hope the listeners learned and had fun along with us and sometimes cried and laughed you know you think back to some episodes like Britt Merrick I mean that one brought tears to my eyes if you haven't listened to the Britt Merrick episode like you got to go back and listen to that one um you, you know there's just been a ton of fun fun episodes there's been a ton of emotional episodes there's been a ton, ton of honest episodes and I love the lineup because what I love most about podcasts is it's a place to be honest and open and have long conversations and talk about real stuff and it's not sound bites and snippets and so I feel like we were able to do that, and I'm super proud of being able to do that. But uh, onward and upward, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it. Well, well, Ryan, I, I'll jump in. I, I do think all of us should sort of share a little bit about this, and, and certainly you. But um, it's been a, an honor to work with you. And I, I know you say uh, you, you didn't know a ton about surfing coming in, but you were never a kook. And, and I'm gonna um, uh, I'm gonna cite st dane reynolds again on the definition of kook and it all comes down to self-awareness and 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 he famously said look <clears throat> you can know nothing about surfing and as long as you're aware of that you're not a kook and conversely you could be a pretty good objectively surfer but if you think you're way better than you are and you've got no self-awareness you are absolutely a kook and you definitely were not my man and and Appreciate you it. were dedicated and you learned a ton and you provided so much insight you know, obviously all the organizational stuff and the production stuff was was essential, but just insight into how to engage with people and what kind of conversations we should have. And and frankly, this could have just been another sort of, I don't know, a real surface level conversation podcast, you know, where it's like, what are 10 things you think about? Like, tell us about your fins and whatever, but it's not. And, and I think it means a lot to a lot of people. And I think uh, you were instrumental in, in making sure it was that. So you're going to be missed, man. But um, Thanks, but man. I'm, I'm going to talk a lot this podcast. So everyone else, <laughs> if anyone else would like to share a thought about Ryan Fawcett or anything, it's or always anything. open. I uh, just would like to mirror that sentiment too. Ryan, you've done an incredible job. Uh, you have left some gigantic shoes to fill. And uh, I thank you for everything you've shown me. I look forward to carrying it on in your legacy. And uh, man, it's been a blast being on the team this is by far one of my favorite podcasts ever. And to be able to work on it is a true honor. And you and Dave are ultimate ledge dogs, as they say, for uh, building something so fantastic and entertaining. The early episodes hooked me so quick and uh, I just feel lucky to work on it with you guys. So thank you so much for all you've done and uh, best of luck. We'll be seeing you around for sure. For sure. Yeah, appreciate that, Hendo. I want to know what your favorite episode was. You mentioned a couple, but what was number one? That's, you know, that's a good question. I haven't really thought. I, when I thought about it, I did think about the Britt Merrick one. Because I really, up until that one, um, I think, well, and I'm going to say two that are 
really, really not surface level. They're really deep, in my opinion. The Britt Merrick one, when he talks about his daughter passing away, and when there's a moment in that episode where Britt um, is describing what shaping boards did for him in that time, and Dave says, it's almost like you found a type of meditation. And he goes, that's exactly what it was. And it's it just like kind of this like turn of... Yeah, the, it just a uh, enlightenment almost of what that moment was for him, and and that so that really um, that whole story and that whole uh, podcast really affected me. And then the second one um, was when we had Pat O'Connell and Salima Masakalon, um, and it's you know during the Black Lives Matter stuff, and to be able to have Salima on, and I love Pat just like everybody loves Pat, but Pat and Dave are both white, right? Obviously. Uh, Slim is black man. And for him to be able to come on the podcast and say, like, when I get in a car, I have to think about where's my wallet? Where do my hands go? If I get pulled over, what happens? And like shine light to a surfing audience that is probably mostly white and the people that are listening to this that are mostly white and be able to have a platform to say the things that he said. Again, another episode that if you haven't listened to, is a must listen. Um, those are probably my two favorites. I would say the Salima Masakela one. And I want him, I was going to try and have him on the podcast. I think we asked him to be on the podcast coming up. So hopefully he still comes on. But um, really impactful episodes for me to listen to and to be a part of. Did you have a, a least favorite episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom Curran. <laughs> Shots only because, only because Tom Curran's episode... Uh, there's about 40 minutes of it that didn't make the cut and it's just silence. It's just Tom trying to find his words <laughs> because Tom is great, but an orator he is not. Um, but you know what's funny is then we had the the live episode with Tom and Mason and he and was like was great. pearls of wisdom and, and verbose. And it was, yeah, I, I love Tom. You never know what you're going to get. You yeah. always enjoy yourself though. So it was, yeah, it's a good time. All right. Well, well, uh, moving from from one piece of devastating news to the next, um, my team lost the pizza party bet for the WSL finals in episode 81. We all broke into teams and we made our predictions on the WSL finals. We played my favorite game, the time machine. Um, didn't pan out for our side. I feel like uh, we we bet pretty heavy on Steph Gilmore and uh, she got iced in the first heat, which didn't bode well for us. But uh, but congrats, congrats to uh, to the winning team. And um, what what was what were your guys' thoughts just of of finally getting to the day, the WSL Rip Curl WSL Finals, and and experiencing it? Kim, Lindsay, wh wh where were you when you watched it, and and what were your thoughts? I was here at home, like I always am, um, <laughs> every day, just working from home. Um, but yeah, I had it on on my TV and was also on Slack talking to Dan and Jason about what we were all watching independently. Um, and it was it was a funny experience because it was really fun to watch. Um, <laughs> not that the other contests aren't, but um, it was it was sort of proving out the format for me at least um, and how exciting it was and how amazing the surfing was. Um, and it just felt really enjoyable and it felt like, Oh great. It's, it's all done. It's 1 PM crazy. Um, in this way that was very, very refreshing and really fun. Lindsay. 
I was at the event, actually. So that was incredible. And I really valued the opportunity to be there. I think it was interesting because we had had the yellow alert the day before. And so we'd had that sort of like test run of, and also I've never been to an event um, at the beach before. I've been at a surf ranch, so I've never experienced the call in the same way. But as most people at WSL know, you have to get up really, really early. And so you go down, it's so freaking early. And then for the yellow alert day, it was really funny because I think we all kind of knew like it didn't look that good but um so you get up really early go down there and then it didn't work out but um then we got to wake up the next morning and try it all again so from my side it was an interesting experience on the day of because my role is very digital heavy so I'm sort of tied to my computer and being on the event site I found it really difficult to like find a space to like be doing my work while I was also trying to like see the event because it's such a spectacular and awesome experience to be so close and watch it I was at one point just like crouched down in the sand, like outside of where like people were working because it was too loud in there for me. Um, But yeah, it was, it was great. And like to Kim's point, it was so fast. I don't think any of us anticipated how fast it was going to feel. And especially on my end where I'm like multitasking and sending push notifications and checking ads and, you know, reading copy to make sure it's like not spelled incorrectly before it goes out immediately. It was, it felt like a million things going on. And then Once the event was over, we had sort of um, an experience for the athletes that night to prepare for. So it was just like quick on to the next thing. And then it was a really long day, but it was a fantastic experience. Lindsay's the unsung superstar of the WSL finals. So everyone knows. (laughs) Of the WSL as an organization, I think. (laughs) Yeah, of the WSL at large. Um, But like ran so many things at the finals from like, a pre-party, also a post-party. Also, like, every time I looked up, she's, like, in a different position working on her computer doing something different. It's like, where's Lindsay? Oh, she's, like, sitting down underneath the food table (laughs) trying to get work done while Gabe's in the water. That is very kind, Ryan. Um, (laughs) I obviously didn't do things alone. There's a lot of people working on it, but I appreciate that. You do most of it alone. Come on, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stoked to hear you made it down to the event and those early wake up calls. Uh, gosh, I miss them. I didn't work the event that day, but uh, let me tell you, I was glued to my seat from 6 a.m. till well into the night. I didn't shower the entire day. At the end, I was just stanking up the whole room, but I loved it. I watched every heat. I just couldn't leave. And everyone I spoke with had nothing but phenomenal words to say. Even some of the naysayers out there ended up saying they loved it, you know, so I I heard nothing wrong about it. And uh, the day was just filled with drama from every heat and even the gray suit who came and visited. What crazy storylines. It was a phenomenal day. So hats off to all you guys. Dan, what were your hot takes? Yeah. Like everyone said, it the, the day started so quick. Like Connor was just all of a sudden in the water. And then like, I feel like it got to the finals really fast to the point where I was worried, like, have people tuned in yet? Like, it's like, it's not even noon. Um, And then once it got to the finals in the multi-heat format, I think it it was really helped by the fact that Tati won the first. It kind of felt like it slowed down. And then Kelly and Mick got in there and it was like, oh, we're really, we're really rolling now. Like, I think, uh, yeah, how was that in the broadcast? How was that, Kelly and Mick in the broadcast? Oh, my God. I'm so happy. Like, I would have loved to be there for the first one. But watching from home and getting to see those two guys just, like, go back and forth, especially we got, like, the shark moment where they were just filling time with Kelly and and Mick. And we were, it was just, like, the best possible viewing experience. Like, 
it's you know they would i mean kelly's obviously still on tour but if those guys could just announce every surfing thing ever it would be the best they were so good do they need like like how monday night football has peyton and eli oh now? yeah they it was like a- that but times 10 because they're actually like funny <laughs> <laughs> peyton and eli are funny no nah, i'm just kidding but they also they had great insights like kelly's just talking about all the strategy stuff and it it was great. Um, I heard from someone that like it wasn't even fully planned that they were going to be on there, and like Kelly kind of showed up that morning and was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then like it happened, and it was just like this beautiful not accident, but like wasn't wasn't uh, fully planned. So like, oh, that was the best. It it was planned. It just wasn't confirmed. Um, mm-hmm. So he had, he had agreed to do it, but. Uh, you know, it's a, an agreement from him is, is is not a thing until it actually happens. And so, yeah, he kind of rocked up. But I agree. I, I would actually say we just keep them on ice and we only roll them out for the finals every year just because it's like an, an elevated thing. And, you know, it's interesting, the the yellow alert call, I, I think, you know, being at lower trestles and knowing that we were going to have a, a good amount of swell, like even sort of at two to three feet, that's a really high performance wave. And, and it was basically that and, and bigger the entire time. And you know, we were looking at the forecast and and the yellow alert was sort of designed to prime all these markets around the world to say, like, don't miss it because this is one day a thing. And we called it on and, and uh, we called it yellow alert for Monday on Sunday morning. And I remember being down there on Sunday and we were taking a look at it. And we we're looking at the models and the swell was supposed to be filling in on Monday. And just you know, sometimes sometimes it's a little bit of the Titanic, this company, where it's like it's heading in a direction and, and that momentum can kind of carry it you know, even if it's the wrong thing to do. And so basically all of Sunday, a few of us were spending a lot of time just talking to people and getting everyone spiritually okay with the fact that, hey, I know we put it on yellow alert, but if if it's not ready tomorrow, we're not going to run and that's going to be okay. Um, and so that was kind of Sunday. And then Monday um, did exactly what we thought it was. It wasn't spectacular. So we we called another yellow alert for Tuesday. And, and I, I want to give sort of hats off to Jesse Miley Dyer because there were a lot of naysayers the morning of Tuesday because it was on the cusp of being too big. Um, but I've known her for a long time and she's got like this cool sixth sense when it comes to the ocean. And and she definitely was like, nope, it's going to be good. We're going to be on. And it was a pretty risky call because Wednesday and Thursday were going to be smaller, but also really good and really sort of high performance based. But I think she nailed it. It, w- it had been windy every sort of late morning uh, leading up until that point. And then on the Tuesday, it was just sort of glassy all day. It was about as maxing as it gets um, for high performance surfing out there. And yeah, it was really uh, it was really incredible. What did you guys think of um, the performances of the final five, the men and the women? Because um, I, I kind of noticed there were both men and women who really kind of shown and overperformed in that kind of format. And then there are a bunch that, that I didn't feel like they surfed to their potential. Did you guys notice that too? And and if so, what were your thoughts? I mean, it really felt like Tati was like one turn away from winning a world title. Like she absolutely was. She, she, I feel like her coming in at number two, um, she didn't get like, I mean, maybe she did, but I feel like she didn't get the full respect of being number two, where I think people like we, I mean, we picked stuff to go all the way. And I think a lot of people had Sally getting through her. Um, I don't, I don't know if I heard a single person say Tati could do it. it like just talking to other surf fans, but damn, she, st- she stole the first heat. And then she, she was so close in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think one other thing that kind of stuck out was Felipe obviously was great, but I thought no one talked about 
Italo. Like he just kind of got totally outshone, outshined, whatever, by Felipe. Ran through him. The finals was great, but like Italo just never seemed to. The the best two surfers on the men's side were Gabe and Felipe by far, and Italo was not even in the conversation after being the clear number two throughout the whole year. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. We had kind of said that number two spot was like a dangerous position, right? Because you're one heat away from the final two out of three for the world title, but you're coming in cold, right? And whoever's facing you has got at least one heat under your belt. And I, I think that kind of worked against Italo. Like, I think he maybe would have been better off starting at number five on the day. But it depends on the person because Tati was number two as well, right? And she comes out and belts Sally and then goes and takes the first heat from Carissa. And all of a sudden, she's one heat away from being a world champion. Like, mind-blowing, but also the same in the same position that Italo was. She had to win your heat. Win the first heat, all of a sudden you're in you're in contention, and it's just interesting that um, to, those two mindsets of like how it how it affects you because Idolo he kind of just disappeared. He just I don't know mentally wasn't there or didn't have it together. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I mean, it, she absolutely was one turn away. I went and talked to the judges about that afterwards, and they're like, if she sticks that last turn, that she wins the world title. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. You know it. It's interesting. Like I, I think Carissa is sort of one of the surfers I would put in that she, she, she didn't perform her best surfing wise, but she just, you know, her at whatever you, whatever you quantify it at, like seventy percent, eighty percent, is still so dangerous because she's such a great surfer. But I, I really think the format for her didn't, it, it, it rattled her. Yeah, I was wondering that too. If kind of thinking in it like a boxing match if like tati came out swinging phase carissa a little bit and there she is a little bit dazed like oh i gotta put in some work not that she was like chilling in that number one spot by any means but when that happens you got to start thinking like i gotta step it up here and start going any other thoughts on the uh the rip pearl wsl finals before we move to our next topic closing thoughts I do think that there's something interesting happened with Morgan, which was the pressure was too much. Mm. Um, and I wonder that too, um, about Steph even maybe like, is there a world where this new condition where it's way different from anything from someone with experience like Steph to someone with an experience like Morgan, like the pressure was probably much different than it's ever been before. Um, so I wonder if that had, a um, you know, any effect on any of them. It's interesting. I think Morgan said at the press conference on the pier, it was the first press conference he'd ever been to in his career. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like he just because he just had come out of nowhere and he's like, "This is the first time I've been to a press conference," and it was for the world yeah. title event. Let's say the amount of hype he got too. I mean, we were in the Rip Curl shop every day before doing lineup live episodes. Everybody's hyping up Morgan. Like everybody's going for Morgan. People are like, "Yeah, it'd be cool if Connor won," but like Morgan could do it. Morgan, like, it's just like the rookie. Like you're so young, first year on tour, first press conference. Everybody's rooting for you. You get in the water, like, whoo, that's a lot of pressure. It'll be interesting to see how he deals with it next year. You know, because this yeah. this this season and this event in particular, and as we've been saying, like being WSL final five is essentially being like Oscar nominated, like spotlights on him now forever in a way. And it'd be interesting to see how he handles like a, a different kind of identity in his sophomore season next year. And then on the Steph side too, Ryan, you mentioned the, the lineup live episodes and our first one was with Mick Fanning. 
and he actually called it, you know, because he knows Steph very, very well. They, 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 they live very close to each other. He, they've seen her surf so much and seen her compete so much. And he said, she, she's a slow starter in those early heats in the morning. She likes to build momentum through the event. She likes these afternoon heats. And he said the hardest heat for her is going to be Joanne DeFay because Joanne DeFay is so good and so rock solid in terms of surfing heats that that first heat for her for for Steph was going to pose a lot of danger and I, I think he nailed it and I think that's what we saw mm. I think too going back just the winners I think it was a best case scenario I think the the finals being won by the two number ones in the first year was good it, overall I think it helped people who were questionable about the event and the format like I think it satisfied them but I also think just watching how it played out I think it's set up fans for future years. Like if the number one gets upset, I think people are going to be okay with it. If Tati sticks that turn at the end, if Felipe makes that that air at the very end of his and pushes a, Gabe to a third heat and they win, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, they didn't deserve it after watching how it all played out. So I think, I think you underestimate the surf audience. You think, you think if Felipe had won, give. if he had pulled it out, if he had landed that air and then went on to beat Gabe, people would be upset? Absolutely. Oh, I 100%. think everyone would have been like, wow, that was an amazing performance. He deserved that. I think there would be a good portion of the surf audience that would be like, Gabe won almost like every event. Like he's like, <laughs> he dominated the entire year. And then he comes in and gets beat. Like people no, were no still way. saying that even though he won the world title. But I, I do think that, I do think that, you know, I don't want to celebrate the format too much because we obviously have our WSL hats on here, but I am a firm believer that it, it really works out because if you look at the season and the rankings on the season as a reflection of talent and even talent gaps, you know, the, the format is designed to really favor the number one seed, right? And I think you saw that. I think someone wrote, you know, Gabriel Medina is the best surfer in the world and he beat Felipe Toledo, the best surfer at Trestles. Yeah. largely because of the format, right? Like, I think if they had come in cold, it, it could have been a lot closer. But as it was, like, Felipe had to beat Connor. He had to beat Italo. And by the time he got to Gabriel, there there for sure would have been like an emotional and, 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 and physical toll that would have he would have had to pay on his way there. And and I think the format worked. I just think the fact that, that both Carissa and Gabriel were so far ahead of the field in the season, that format benefited them and... and while it was a little bit closer between Carissa and Tati, it really, Gabriel just really dominated as he did all season. And, and I think they're both worthy world champs. Yeah. And lastly, I just wanted to shout out Connor. I thought he performed so well out of his skin. He stepped it up the day of, and I was so impressed with his surfing. He was just electric that day. It's a good note. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we will dig back into a few more topics when we return. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, so... Uh, you know, this is call this a design flaw or just a part of the triage season that we'll be working in, but almost immediately following the completion of the biggest event in our sports history, certainly in our company's history, uh, we went straight into the first of the four remaining Challenger Series events for the 2021 season with the U.S. Open of Surfing in Huntington Beach presented by Shiseido. And that wrapped a few days ago. We saw 15-year-old Oceanside surfer Caitlin Simmers taking out the women's division and San Clemente CT hitter Griffin Colapinto uh, putting a W next to his name on the men's side. Break room thoughts on the U.S. Open Challenger Series event. So I did work this event. I just got back, I think, Monday. And, you know, it's a long event. The work is there and um, there are challenges with the waves every single year, but that's to be expected. Given that, I think that there were some standouts. Uh, obviously, there were some Huntington hops. That's to be expected, too. But there were some great standouts. And I was impressed by a couple people who I hadn't really known before. Nolan Raposa on the men's side and Hawaiian Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. Those two, even though they didn't make it to the final per se, I was really impressed. So I do think there's some new, fresh talent coming through that I don't know much about. And that's kind of what this Challenger series is designed to do, correct? For sure. It was it was like a perfect mix of like CT names and like up and comers. And I think um, it was just great. It's exactly what we we're what you just said. Like, how do we find the next Morgan Sibilich like before the next season starts? And I think this is the way to do it. Like while Griff kind of ran away with it, he was just by far the best surfer in the water. Like Jake Marshall and and um, Nolan Raposa, like we're super exciting. And then both of the women's finalists were awesome too. And it, but Coco was right there as well. So like I think it's, I don't know. I'm curious to see how it goes plays out over the next three events. But I like that it was like a perfect kind of matchup between names we know and then like the people who are going to be there next year. I thought it was super wild um, how young the women were or the girls are. <laughs> like, And yeah, I know that's crazy. something we talk about with like Tyler won the CT. I think she was like 14 or something. And I think it's like I take note of it just because you just don't see that on the men's side. You don't see 14-year-old boys winning events <laughs> in the same way that you do see 14-year-old girls like properly, I mean, 
Katie Summers is 15 and just won the U.S. Open and beat, you know, beat everyone that she did. Um, and that's just super fascinating to me and incredibly impressive because that means that they have extraordinary heads on their shoulders to be able to sort of weather that pressure. Um, and there's a lot of them, too. Like there's a lot of girls who are, you know, if you're 15 or 14, you, you're a freshman in high school. And I think all of us are idiots when we're freshmen in high school, <laughs> except for them. And it's just I don't know. It's it's incredible to me to see. I was definitely an idiot in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you kidding? <laughs> the, the that event in particular, the U.S. Open, uh, to Kim's point, just on the the women's age side, like it has lent itself to very young winners in the past. I think Malia Manuel won it when she was like fourteen. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting. I, I I think it does have something to do with the wave. I think it does have something to do with the the way that the that venue and that event's position, whether it's a CT for the women some years or it's a Challenger Series event, it's a high-level QS event, all the attention that's usually there from a festival atmosphere. But then I just think you're right. I think it's a showcase for for young women that are almost, you know, performance shifting what the the standard is in terms of high performance surfing. Um they're able to come in and, and really make an impact. And I was I was blown away by how polished Katie Simmers looked because it was an event that had plenty of CT surfers in it as well. Yeah. She was really good at Surf Ranch this year too. I heard something cool today that someone likened this new generation of women coming up, kind of like the momentum generation on the men's side back in the day where they came and they started getting on tour and, you know, sweeping out all the old legends. Is this something that might be happening that we could see? It's interesting, right? I think, you know, the it was a little bit ahead of my time in terms of just paying attention, but the momentum generation, I think it's a fair parallel in the sense that when they came in, they were ushering in, you know, aerial surfing and fin-free surfing and just drawing different lines. Um, there was still power surfing, but there were really kind of two firm encampments of the generation ahead of them were all rail-based power surfers. And the momentum generation surfers had a lot of power as well, but they were really in a class of their own in terms of um, like sort of progressive surfing, right? And I think that's fair when you're looking at someone like Katie Simmers or you're looking at Sierra Kerr or Sky Brown or any of these young women that are coming through, they're really pushing it in a similar way. I do think different to how it was when the momentum generation came in and really shifted the performance paradigm. I think when you get to that elite championship tour level, you now have to have both, whether you're a, a man, man or a woman. You, you have to be able to have a really solid power game and you have to have a really um, powerful progressive game as well. It's not one or the other. So it'll be interesting to see because a lot of these young girls, just by the fact that they are young girls, have not fully matured into adult physiques yet, you know? So when they, if they end up cracking the championship tour, you know, in their mid teens or late teens, they're going to have to be contending with Stephanie Gilmore at, at full power or, um, you know, Caroline Marks, Carissa Moore. And these people are just at, at the height of their powers and they're able to kind of do everything. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the, in the coming, in the coming years. So by the time this podcast uh, airs, we're going to be into the first of our two European Challenger Series events for the men and the women. And then we will round out the Challenger Series season at Haleiwa at the end of uh, November, December. Uh, everyone can go to worldsurfleague.com and check out the current rankings breakdown. 
It's a little bit of a challenge, but we're basically going to be taking the top 12 ranked surfers on the Challenger Series after Haleiwa, as well as the top six ranked women, and they will advance to the championship tour for 2022. Uh, we're going to be counting on these uh, Challenger Series rankings their best three out of five results. Now, I know we only started with the U.S. Open saying there are four events at the remainder of 2021. We're also counting everyone's best result from 2020 uh, pre-pandemic. So it doesn't matter if it was at Sydney, which is a Challenger Series event, or any of the QSs. Every surfer gets to count that event into their best three out of five uh, for the rankings moving forward. Thoughts? Questions? Lots of questions. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's points associated with like even the um, Challenger Series or the... Uh, countdown series events not the countdown just from the qualifying series events before okay. the uh the pandemic shut down everything and then if so like let's say griffin colapinto obviously first place in the rankings right now he's already on tour so then does that spot go to number 13 on the rankings great question previously yes so so what we would call that is someone double qualifying so if a ct surfer also did the well on the qs which has happened quite a bit in the past and they qualified on the CT, and then they took one of the qualifying spots on the QS, we would consider that double qualified. They would use their CT uh, ranking to advance to the next season because that will give them a higher seed onto the tour. And then the QS spot that they're not using will then go down to the next spot, number 13, et cetera. Now that we've changed the system from a two-tier system to a three-tier system, there are no more double qualifiers. So if Griffin Cola Pinto continues to do the Challenger Series and continues to finish in the top 12, he's already qualified through the championship tour. So his spot does not go to number 13 on the Challenger Series rankings. It goes back to the WSL for wildcard purposes. Whoa. Doesn't mean that the Tours and Competitions Whoa. office won't give that spot to whoever was next in line on the Challenger Series, but it's not automatic. But So, oh. so right now, looking at the men's rankings, see the Challenger Series rankings, Griff... Kanoa, Kanoa, and Ethan are all in the top twelve. So there would be four extra wild cards for each event instead of going down to number sixteen in the in the CS rankings. It it wouldn't be for it wouldn't be for every event. It would be they'd buy and be tour long wild cards, or at least for those first five uh, events. Um, okay. What will likely happen, and this is just a guess, because obviously it can go the other way too, is that the CT surfers that have already qualified probably are not going to be doing every challenger series event um in all likelihood they'll just do a couple um and so even if they do really really well in those couple of events they do it's going to be unlikely that they double qualify just by just by virtue of the rest of the challenger series field being doing all the events and racking up as many opportunities as possible so while the rankings look like they do right now i'm not sure if griffin or leo are in europe or kanoa i think leo and kanoa might be just because they spend a lot of time there but I don't know if Griffin's going to be there. Um, we'll see. We'll see if they end up uh, in the in the top twelve by the end of Haleiwa. That's they could, they probably also will want to be in Hawaii and surf those events. So like maybe they do Haleiwa. Yeah, and I, and I think this year is going to be unique, right? To, in that in that respect, because there we're only there's only five events. You know, some of them already have really good results. They had an odd year because of COVID. So some of them, especially as these younger guys like Griffin and Kanoa and Leo, might just want to be doing the Challenger Series to get reps. You know, and they could do really, really well in Arasera. They could do really, really well in, in uh, Hossegur. They could do really, really well in Haleiwa. 
I think that will be uncommon moving forward when there's eight Challenger Series events where they might just do a couple of them, but they'll probably take the rest of the time to uh, to spend spend time and energy on other products uh, projects. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess when the season, if you had just finished the season, you wouldn't want to go surf like six more events right after. But yeah, so, some of them do. I mean, we'll see how we'll see how it plays out because you know, we have sort of redesigned everything and redesigned everything. What I'd like to think is, is pretty smartly and pretty thoughtfully. And I think some of that's already borne out in the performance of something like the rip curl WSL finals. Um, but we're still very much in a bridging year, you know, like this is not the full flight of the redesign. Hopefully we get closer to it next year. I think we will. Um, but I think it's going to take a couple of years for those rhythms to set in for everybody. So sorry, back to the wild cards. If there's four X, say there's, two extra wild cards in addition to the two that are already there this year. How are those chosen? Like if I'm Owen Wright, am I sitting at home rooting for all of the CT guys to crush the challenger series? <laughs> so someone will choose me to get my spot back. Or if I'm Malia Emanuel, like same thing, like how are they going to be chosen? If there, say there is four, how do you choose mm -hmm. those four people? Yeah, totally. So, so as it stands now, before we're talking about double qualification, there's two men's championship tour wild cards and two women's championship tour wild cards that the tours and competition office in concert with an independent medical review board, uh, take all applicants into account. They look at injuries, they look at past performance, they look at, um, you know, potential and whatever else, regional balance, et cetera. Um, and they factor all that into those decisions. So for surfers who didn't make the cut this year, um, those two wild cards have already been decided. They haven't been announced, uh, both for the men and the women. Ooh. If there are double qualifiers uh, that, that, that do happen on the Challenger Series and more wild cards come back to the WSL, it will go through the same process. And okay. potentially some of those surfers that applied originally that didn't get the original two spots would still be in contention uh, for next season as well. Gotcha. Last wild card question. Ultimate surfer wild cards are also a thing. There's three of those that were committed to on the show, at least. If Zeke or Tia, spoiler alert, I mean, the show was on. Um, <laughs> if they win or qualify, then not necessarily win, but make the cut in the Challenger series, are their wild cards going to Koa and Brianna? I don't know. I'm not positive. I'm not sure what the bylaws are for the ultimate surfer. I, I've been in a conversation where that's gotten brought up and it's interesting uh, in the sense of like, does it go to the runner up? I'm not positive. I'm not positive it does go to uh, to Brianna or, or Koa. Interesting. Are you guys are you guys going to be tuning in here in a couple of days when we're on in Arisara? For sure. Mm hmm. What's the I'll time zone situation? Maybe Yeah, it's not like a close it's not like a close situation. No. Kim, if you want to be awake at midnight on Saturday, just wait for that call. <laughs> I think since I started working here four years ago, I've only tuned into the Europe events like twice and i think it was sort of an accidental situation not a night person <laughs> when someone how do you accidentally turn into your because i'm just like still up on accident you know you know how it goes <laughs> for sure <laughs> my thoughts wake me up i'm like huh maybe i should watch uh, jbay right now yeah <laughs> i was dreaming about Arisera. yeah yeah exactly i like to get up early in the morning and it's nice to have something on where i'm like well i'm not gonna watch like another episode of the wire at like four in the morning well like, i say that but i'm lying i will do it but it's more just like oh cool i've got a coffee going the dogs are running around and i'll, I'll throw arisera on and see what's happening yeah. i i love the challenger series just and 
I say that I, I used to love the qualifying series too, because I just like seeing who's next. And like I like seeing like, okay, like imagining like these young women or these young men, like how are they going to do when they make it to the CT? Are they going to be someone that we need to pay attention to? Like I, I, I dig it. Yeah, there was, I was really impressed too with Jake Marshall. I mean, fellow San Diegan in the final, I've kind of, you know, heard of him, seen him around, but the way that he performed to make it that far, same with uh, Gabriella as well. Hadn't really heard a lot about her, but she shined. And obviously I've heard of Caitlin Simmers and that makes me wonder if, like girls like Sierra Kerr or Aaron Brooks or Sky Brown are considering doing it or are they sitting this year out and waiting? I mean, it's a good question. You know, I, I mean, I, I think sort of the famous, uh, well, I'd like to give a shout out to, to O'Neill's Garth Tarlow, who's been there for a long, long time and, and is inarguably one of the best talent developers on the planet. He, he's someone who identified, you know, Jordy Smith at a very young age and worked with him. And, and he's responsible for, for, I mean, in part for Caitlin Simmers' success at such a young age. And we were having this conversation and talking about when, when Taj Burrow, I think he was 19, he qualified for the championship tour. And he was working with shaper Morris Cole. Um, and Morris was also kind of his sort of coach and business manager guru. And together they decided to uh, rescind his spot. He, he said, I'm not ready. And so he... He went back on the QS, which was unheard of at the time. And he went back on the QS. He won the QS the next year and and then felt like he was ready and joined the CT. So I think kind of going back to Kim's point, like there's such a strong field of young women coming up. It wouldn't surprise me if some of them accidentally qualified and then decided, yeah, I'm not ready. You know, um, Man, it would be crazy. shocking in a way, but it, it wouldn't be unprecedented. What was he not? What was not ready about him? Jeez. You know, I'm, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think there was something about it's, it's almost not dissimilar to the momentum generation conversation in the sense that most of that field were very, very good at the the being at the vanguard of progressive surfing. And Taj, I'd say, was beyond everybody, you know, and his surfing was probably actually well ahead of its time in terms of how high performance and impactful it was, even at such a young age. I think there were probably other parts of his surfing, maybe strength and power and rail game and things like that, that he and Morris looked at and said, look, like we're going to have to work on those things um, before we get on tour. And I think you see that with, with, with young people. I mean, even on the men's side, most, most young men, you know, that I've noticed just on tour don't actually kind of physically fill out until their, their early twenties, um, which is actually informing our conversations on age limits for the pro junior series in a lot of ways. And so, you know, at 19, like, I think Taj was a pretty small, like, like scraggly kid. And I think he, he probably put a lot of weight on in between those seasons just to kind of do battle with the, the Titans on the, the championship tour. One last wild card question. Theoretically, if somebody <laughs> if somebody does qualify and say they're too young and they decide to not go on to the CT that year, would the WSL then hold it for a year or would they have to go back on the challenger? It's case by case. So they can apply um, for it um, with the tours and competition office. But I would imagine in that case that that even the application wouldn't be guaranteed until the end of that year, right? Because there's a finite amount of space and their application would have to go up against other people. And there might just be more worthy people that have been on tour for a longer time, had legitimate injuries, were in title contention, whatever it is, who just based on the merits, um, you know, outrank the, the, the challenger series, um, 
qualifier. Going back to what Kim said about like what part of him wasn't ready, I mean, where my mind goes is when we have all these college athletes who have the opportunity to go pro and it's like so big in college basketball, especially like, are they going to go to the league? Are they going to stay on the team? And that's such a big decision. I can't even imagine like how you're weighing the pros and cons, but I feel like it's also so personal. Like you and, you know, you're still accomplishing a lot at that level, whether it's like a college level or a challenger series level. And I'm sure that you have, um, like that's an opportunity in itself to use that time to gain skills, et cetera. But I think that that is super interesting and it will be as the challenger series develops, if that continues to take place, like those will be the interesting stories. I think you nailed that parallel and it, there's so many factors, right? Because there's like a financial factor where it's like, Hey, if I'm the, the the rule is effectively like if I qualify for the CT, my sponsors pay me three times as much, right? Mm. And my family might need that. Um, and yeah, there's all there's all sorts of components. I mean, going back to the college thing, I know that the the argument against staying in college is like, okay, you you've got a contract now, or you're in the league now. What happens if you go back and play another year of college and hurt yourself, right? And so. I think all those things are almost intensified in surfing just because it's not a it's a, it's not a static field of play. It's a dynamic field of play. And just because you had one amazing season and you're an amazing surfer, it doesn't guarantee you the same success the next year. The ocean, the ocean can throw you some curveballs. Yeah, I think almost from a confidence perspective, it, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, if I'm a 17 year old and I just qualified, is it better for me to to get on tour, even if I'm probably going to get knocked off at the cut line? If I get those five events against the best, see what I need to work on, and then you know come back and do the Challenger Series next year and try to get back on, or is do I just sit out the whole thing? But you, you can't underestimate how much of a like a a beating your confidence could take if you're just getting smoked event after event at Pipe and then in Portugal, you know all these places. Of course, I mean there's parallels on tour right now. I mean I'm, I with. I mean, memory is a little hazy, but my with pretty firm confidence, I could say that, you know, surfers like Felipe Toledo, Gabriel Medina, Colohan Dino, Caroline Marks, like all qualified at 16, 17, 18 for the championship tour and took that leap, you know, to to varied levels of success. But it's it's a challenge. Right. And we've, we talk about it on this podcast a lot where just the speed and the pace and the quality of surfing difference between what was formerly the qualifying series and the championship tour is so radically almost like imperceivable when you're just watching it on a webcast to when you're actually sitting out there and you're seeing someone who you know everyone in your life said you were going to trounce and they're just blitzing past you because you're like i didn't realize this person was that good <laughs> dave i love what you mentioned um what you had mentioned around like the economic reality of making that decision. Like to me, I think that that has so much depth to it. And it's easy to forget that that is one aspect of what a lot of these surfers are doing. I think um, Stab just had an article on, it was like the connection between growing up poor and winning world titles. That was really interesting. Um, and I think that like when you were talking about in sports, there's like that, there's been a deep dive in the industry around sort of football, especially where for some, you know, economic subsets, that's um, a choice and an opportunity that they have. So it's hard to turn that down and harder to turn it down for a lot more, um, like some people are more privileged and have other opportunities. So it's like the dynamics of that is what makes like the sport or just, you know, surfing itself. It's like an underlayer that makes it a lot more dynamic and easily forgotten. 
I've heard that exact point made by football coaches where they're doing their training camp assessments as they dive into or their draft assessments, they dive into the economic background of players because fairly or unfairly, the the prevailing wisdom for a lot of these teams is they go, well, if this person comes from a place of comfort, they don't really need to be here. Are they really going to train hard? Are they really going to hit people or you know whatever it is? As opposed to people who come from more impoverished backgrounds, they say, look, this person has to be here. We can almost count on that motivation being a huge point of difference. And it is crazy that we're in that situation, especially when it comes to uh, people's lives, you know, and people's health in a lot of ways. But um, but yeah, I think I think you're totally right, Lindsay. I think when the Challenger series continues to kind of fold in and 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 be launched in full flight next year, it'll be one of these interesting sort of narratives that happens amongst the uh, all the people that qualify for it. All right, so on that note, we will uh, say good luck to all of our challengers battling in Aracera, Portugal, probably as this uh, launches, and then in Hossegor, France next week, and then rounding out the season at Haleva at the end of November. We're gonna take another quick break for commercials, and when we come back, we will return with your Instagram questions. Be right back. All right, we're back from break. Um, I usually take the Instagram questions segment, but as I am um, vanishing into thin air like the end of Endgame, um, I'm going to hand it over to Hindo, and uh, Hindo's going to run us through the mailbag. Thank you, Ryan. Love what you've done with the place. Uh, stoked to be here. Instagram questions, we got quite a few, everybody, close to 20 plus, but let's just get it started. Let's fire it up right now. First question, at jcamilo415. After one challenger event, projections for the rest of the CT field? Dan, what do you think? Man, it's tough to tell without knowing which CT guys are going to be competing at each event and women guys and women but i will say with only three scores because there's two throw five events two throwaways so only three scores count this is not a groundbreaking math uh here but i feel like it's going to be really hard for the people who just did well at the u.s open to fall out of the top 12 or the top six like they're already so far ahead and with those ct names like caris is in there on the women's side um and like the four men are in there like it's going to be hard for people to jump up i think with with so many people, I don't know how many repeat winners we're going to see. So I feel like getting those 6,000 points or 8,000 points, like it'd be shocking to me if the top fours that are currently there right now weren't on tour next year. But again, I, I don't do the math. <laughs> Good points. Might need a calculator there. Good luck to all. Um, at Timmy Moran 24, who would chair Kelly Slater up the beach if he were to win another event? Dave, why don't you take this one? Well, I have it on good authority that actually Dave wants to be the person that chairs Kelly. Up yeah, and just Dave, too. Just, <laughs> just on Dave. his back. He, he wants it yeah. just to be me, too. Me and my sciatica. <laughs> well, thank you for the joke, Ryan. And you got in there before I did because I was going to cur- correct one thing you said. Um, in, in, and I'd have to do this in honor of our, our friend of the pod and uh, two-time women's world champion, Tyler Wright, people disappeared at the end of Infinity War. They were snapped back in Endgame. I th- as I said in-game, I was like, I'm going to get shit for this because yeah, yeah. I knew look it at, wasn't. Look how, quickly that, look, look, look how quickly that shit came back at you. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so if I, you know, I would love to chair Kelly up the beach if you were to win another event. Just Honestly, it like the, there it is. Send, clip that out. He's such a... Uh, he he himself considers himself a citizen of the world and and you know despite maybe eye rolling at that like 
going to events and seeing how universally loved he is by everybody i honestly think it doesn't matter where he wins an event like everyone would be clamoring to to chair him up the beach but he usually rolls with a pretty pretty uh fit posse of people i mean i'd probably yeah. have to box out strider to do it because strider <laughs> liked being there yeah strider paddling in together that's right yeah, yeah that's right. one the each of them have one hand on the trophy as they host it up it'd be great dave versus strider is a celebrity death match i would watch <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a quick Ooh. match <laughs> well, if it's not Strider and uh, Belly, then Dave, you and I can take that on. If I'm in the nerd cave, I would gladly carry Kelly. If you're listening, we would enjoy that. So It's a long walk <laughs> from wherever we work down to the beach, though. So there's that, too. So. Yeah. All right. We'll start working out. Uh, at court underscore grace, final thoughts on the ultimate surfer. Kim, uh, what are you thinking? Um, the ultimate surfer is not my favorite execution that I've seen. Um, but I do appreciate that, um, it has maybe garnered, um, some new interest in surfing to some people who might not have been interested otherwise. And I understand that I can't be that much of a critic as someone who watches, um, a lot of reality television myself. So what do you watch? on that in oh, reality tons. television. Yeah, you a new that. season of Survivor? No, I'm a huge fan of Love Island UK specifically, not the US version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, Ryan, are you looking for someone who does watch Survivor so you can talk to them about it? The new season <laughs> is crazy so far. I'm sorry, I so, can't yeah. that Season like 60? <laughs> I think it's like 104, but it's so good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very interested in that. Um, but I don't know something about the surfing part of it and the, like the 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 sort of interaction that felt kind of forced and like making out and also making waves or whatever. I'm like nobody. That's that's not like the real. <laughs> that's not real. So it's frustrating for me. It's very frustrating for me. Unlike all the other real stuff I watch. I was about to say, unlike whatever what was happens say. on Love Island UK. Yeah. I've I've heard Love Island in the background. My fiance watches it. It's not real at all. Oh, right. No, of Come course on. not. Of course not. But they don't try to like put they, they don't try to like do sports also. It's like they're they're very clear about about their intentions, I think. That's where you have the problem is the sports being involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remove the sports part, I'm all in. Um we got <laughs> At Jenna Jesse, is there testing for performance enhancing drugs at the WSL? Dave. Are they asking if the employees get tested at the WSL or <laughs> the answer is no. The answer is Good no. Question. We don't get tested. I was told I would never be tested. Um we're probably talking about the surfers. Um so the the then ASP um implemented an anti-doping policy and a testing protocol in 2012, started 2012. And it's evolved and continued and, and, and surfers still get tested uh, for everything. Um, you know, what they call class A and class B substances, uh, performance enhancing drugs and uh, recreational substances. Does that include marijuana? It does, although the so so that so it is included because the anti-doping policy is based on the WADA framework, which is the World Anti-Doping Authority, which is used by the IOC. Um, so it does include uh, marijuana, but our policy and particularly our uh, disciplinary actions are tailored specifically to our organization. So, you know, testing positive for marijuana is not an automatic suspension. It goes to a rules and disciplinary committee and they discuss it. And the rules and discipline committee is like, nah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> depends on what depends on which judge you get on which day. Right. So Has anyone been suspended for that in the last couple of seasons? For marijuana? 
for any any doping drugs anything oh um, like i don't remember that from yeah specifically since dan started yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I th- so there were a few cases both pre and post the implementation of the anti-doping policy because before there was a policy, the surfers were subject to testing by the um sort of governing bodies in countries. So it wasn't so much the ASP, but surfers uh, got tested and wow. some surfers violated the 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 not violated but violated whatever the um policy was Local by laws. that country. Yeah. Hmm. Um so there have been a few small cases, but nothing, nothing major and certainly nothing in the last few years. I honestly think there's just so much money and so much at stake that no one kind of bothers either recreationally or performance enhancing wise. Mm, interesting. Fair enough. At Surf Chaos, will WSL consider having one big wave event part of the tour? Ryan? Easy answer. Uh, no. No, not outside of what we already have in Tahiti. I was going to say Ryan's not the decider, but Ryan's answer. Is <laughs> no, no. I, I make this. You didn't. Oh, sorry. I just got it. That's my new job is uh, plan out the CT. That was part of his exit negotiation. He's like, I'll leave, but I want to decide big wave event part of the I tour. just have heard like it's just there's such delineation between actual big wave events and its own tour versus the CT. There's a huge delineation in the separateness of those two things. Yeah, and I mean, even the definition of what qualifies as a big wave event or a big wave, right? Like, arguably, at some point, Sunset Beach rises to the occasion of being a big wave event or Tahiti rises to the occasion of being a big wave event and specifically Pipeline when we're going back there at the time of year we're going back there, which is peak season for Westwell, could qualify as a quote-unquote big wave event. But when you start talking about places like Piahi on the North Shore of Maui or Nazare in Portugal, those are such unique swell events that you know, we have sort of three month windows to get those waves, um, not two week windows. And so I think in trying to add something like that to the championship tour, it just becomes sort of operationally unfeasible. All right. Well, we have a question from a fellow fantasy champion. I took out a few leagues this year. Um, we got a question from at Diego Frate. Do I get any gift by winning your fantasy league? Diego, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you on Instagram. I'll get your information. We'll send you something. If you won the league, if you were the winner of the league, you deserve something. So, yes, Diego, I'll, um, I'll make it. I've got four days left in the company. One of my last tasks will be to send you uh, a little package. Love it. Maybe you could autograph something for Diego there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the people want. Yeah. We got another question from TNAP. Utas uh, underscore, I probably blew that one, but what happens if Zeke and Tia qualify via CS? Do their wild cards go to runner ups? Also, will there no longer be a triple crown? Well, we already answered the. Yeah, we talked stuff. about the Challenger series. So the, the triple crown, um, which was a series of three events at Haleiwa, Sunset Beach, and Pipeline, w- the long story short is that that's a trademark that's owned by Vans. And Vans ran the Vans Hawaiian Triple Crown for years and years and years uh, to much acclaim. After COVID hit, um, Vans's policy was not to run live events. So they ran a digital Triple Crown, which I believe John John and Carissa won last year. I'm under the impression that they're going to be attempting something similar this year. Um, personally, I, I, I do not think it's the same thing. I don't think that's a shock. Um, I think, I think, 
the honor of winning the triple crown and battling in the live arena at those venues is something that's really, really prestigious. And I'd love to see it come back in future. All those venues are still on tour in some capacity. We've got the Holly Eva Challenger Series event at number eight, um, end of November, early December every year. And then we have Pipeline at CT1 and Sunset Beach at CT2 in January and February. So, so you could run a live triple crown with those events, but as it stands now, Vance has the trademark, so we don't have one on the cards right now. I agree with you, Dave. I'll be missing it. Uh, having spent 15 years working on it, uh, gonna miss it, but we do hope it comes back soon. We got another question from at Wes Weber for how were wild cards chosen for the Challenger series? Kim or Lindsay, you want to chime in? I'd love to. Um, <laughs> they're chosen um, from the tours and competitions team um, via a series of um, qualifi qualifications that Dave mentioned earlier, um, like their previous performances and making sure there's a regional balance um, and all of these types of things. And then they're in the event. Sounds fair to me. We got another question at Bita Mendy. Still don't understand how to get into the Challenger series. Anybody want to tackle that? Um, I think we've talked about that pretty extensively, but it stems from the regional series, which we didn't touch much on. But Dave, if you want to explain that real quick. Yeah, I, I, I can I do my best. But but we touched on it a little bit where it used to be a two tier system. You had the championship tour, then you had the qualifying series. Now it's a three-tier system. So you've got the championship tour, you've got the middle tier, which is new, the challenger series, which is a closed circuit that you have to qualify to get on of eight events. To qualify for the challenger series, you have to perform in one of our seven regional tours. So we've got seven regions, North America, South America, Hawaii, um, Europe, uh, Africa, Asia, and Australasia Pacific. That's seven, right? Um, so depending on how you perform in those seven regional series, there's a select number of men's and women surfers that come from each of those seven regions that then qualify for the challenger series. So that's the way you get on. And uh, if you perform well in challenger series, you'll be on the championship tour competing for a WSL final five spot and a shot at the world title. All right. At underscore Brian Russell underscore. Why isn't it a conflict of interest for a rip curl team rider to win a rip curl sponsored contest? Lindsay, Ryan, thoughts? I'll take it, or unless you want it, Lindsay. Do you want it? Go you for go it, ahead. Ryan. You well, Brian, let me tell you why. <laughs> it it's uh that's not it's not a conflict of interest because Rip Curl and I have worked closely with the partnerships team, so I can say this with hundred percent confidence, has no bearing on or effect on the winner of the event. They don't they don't it's not like they get a judge. You know, Neil Ridgeway isn't in the judge's booth um at trestles because they're a sponsor the judging and the people who decide the contest are completely separate than the brand and the sponsor of the contest so there is no conflict of interest there okay at magister what are your thoughts on the future of the momentum generation Lindsay? well to be honest, the momentum generation means very little to me, so I'm not sure what the future of them are. I think that's a good question for maybe like for an audience that that's more relevant to. Sure, they might still care about where the momentum generation are, and obviously I think that Kelly is the most notable of them and he's still on tour, but 
as you look at the future, I mean, to me, it's more relevant to ask, like, what's Jackson Dorian up to? And, like, what does his future look like than, like, what's Shane Dorian doing these days? Hmm. Ooh, Maybe like the that. question should be, what are your thoughts on the future of the offspring of the Momentum Generation? Less <laughs> right. Shane Dorian and more Jackson Dorian. Although on a side note, I do know that there is a Travis Matthew golf event, first ever celebrity surfing pro-am competition <laughs> that will be airing soon, not only on ESPN2, but on World Surf League on October 18th. You can tune in and members of the Momentum Generation competed in that. So that is something that will be very interesting to watch. Shameless. Ooh. Just shameless. <laughs> So that's the future of the momentum generation. Yeah. That's the future <laughs> golf. So golf, yeah. <laughs> right. Pro AM golf cool. is their future. Dang. Well, I'm still down here in San Diego looking for Justin Post and Travis Molina and Jason Weatherly. Hope to see them soon. Cody Seal as well. But we got another question from Sergio San Graman. Why isn't there any left point breaks on tour? Does it favor regular footers? Dave, Kim? I'll I'll let my fellow goofy footer, Kim Hogan, take that one. Yeah, I'm a goofy footer, but I'm not anywhere near CT level. Um, but in my opinion, um, I don't think anyone is favored. I think the person who's favored is the best surfer on tour. And that surfer should be able to surf backside or frontside better than anyone else. I think that's pretty fair, and I'll, I'll share a very quick story, but the 2022 calendar, I, I had about 60 or 70 individual conversations with all the CT surfers up at Surf Ranch before the Surf Ranch event started this year, um, and everyone's pretty stoked because there's a lot of really good waves on tour uh, moving forward. Um, well, I sat down and talked to Kelly Slater about it. He was pretty excited, and he said, what do other people think? I said, yeah, everyone's pretty good. I said, there's there was a few notes from the goofy footers about like why don't we have a high performance left on tour uh kelly said the exact same thing that kim did but um considerably more angry um, about it he was like, right. it's like i could argue that most of the rights on tour favor the goofy footers and da 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 it's like okay good so i i think kim's right i think at, at that level especially when you start looking at, at at surfers like italo and gabriel it's it's not disenfranchising them one iota um or tati who we've or already Tatiana. discussed Fair enough. New question at I know coronaviruses. Hi from Australia. I got a question. What makes you laugh? Well, I'll just address this real quick. Love comedy, love laughter. Been watching a lot of shows lately. White Lotus, check it out. Very funny. The other two, what we do in the shadows. I went and saw a stand up down here in La Jolla recently. A lot of great stand up comedy. If you've never been in the comedy store or the laugh factory, you'll walk out of there laughing. I love laughter and comedy. So. There you go, I. Next question from our friend at Masciano. Why do you think there are no female surf coaches on tour? Kim. This is a, a very loaded question, um, but I think that the short answer is um, probably sexism and the patriarchy, generational sort of patriarchy at work. Um, I think that the surf coaches, for the most part, seem to be a bit older from previous generations where essentially only men were given opportunities or the women who were um you know, maybe didn't decide to become a surf coach. Um, but yeah, I would say um, shortly, it's probably sexism. Yep. A quick quick shout out to um, Kate Skerritt, uh, who is the Australian Olympic team coach, um, or one of, and, and she's a fantastic coach. She coached for rip curling. She just still does quite a lot of work as, as well. And she's been on tour before. But yeah, I, I think Kim's answer is pretty fair. The other thing I'll add is that it's it's not 
it's not a, a hugely glamorous profession um, in the sense of it's, I don't know if it's, it's that desirable to do in a lot of ways. There's a lot of sitting on the beach. You're not necessarily that well compensated, not the sitting on the beach sucks, but there's just a lot of sitting around and there's a lot of, uh, it's not that well compensated and on and on. And, and it's also surf coach has been around for a long time, but the actual profession of surf coaching has not really been stable or static or defined that well. Like people have different uses for different people. So I kind of think that as the structure of the tour stabilizes and um, everything around the surfing world has a better center of gravity, you may see more diversity in surf coaches moving forward. I would also just challenge that a little bit. While all that may be true, I th- there yes, it's not a glorious profession and whatever, there are still many males that want to do it. And there are, I'm sure, still many females who would want to do it. And the reason they're not able to do it is because of exactly what Kim said, the patriarchy and the just sexism and not being given the opportunity. Because if you can find, I mean, Ross Williams is a coach, McFanning coaches, the people coach, Kingy is a coach. Like there are coaches and they are happy to coach. And there are plenty of female coaches who would be happy to coach. I think that's fair. I, I mean, I think, and also in all those cases too, like it's ultimately up to the surfer, right? Um, like these days, the coaches are determined by the surfer themselves. If they want to work with this person or that person, it's kind of up to them. It's a little bit different at the sponsorship level for team management, but I, I think you're right. I think I think everything both you guys have said is right. All right, we got a few more here. Uh, we got at Gabriel MV08. Will the finals be in a wave of consequence next year? Where will the finals be next year, Dave? We will announce the finals venue at the WSL Awards on January 26th. Tune in. Will that be broadcast for consumers? (laughs) I mean, uh, I'm sure Gabriel MV08 is interested, so I uh, I might be. I hope to be working it. No spoilers here. At Dutch Rizzle, is the Wave Ranch a better venue for a longboard contest? Seemed incredibly awesome. I think it's uh, it's better venue for anything uh, that is not a CT event, whether it's longboard, whether it's an all star event, whether it's a anything else. I don't think it belongs on the CT, but I think it's got a place in this world. Um, and if it seemed incredibly awesome, then yeah, maybe it's a longboard event. That's cool. All right, I'll check it out next time. Last question is from at Willie Goat zero two three zero. Which one of the boys sounds like Kanoa's voice doppelganger? Lowell. Uh, I think this is uh, geared towards either me or you, Dan. I am. I think it's Kanoe Garashi. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was pretty good, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that was good. I've been practicing. Since I saw this question, I've been thinking, what can sounding like Kanoe Garashi get me in life? And I have yet to think of something really beneficial. Act like you're going to order a sharp eye surfboard over the phone. Ooh, you're like, hey, it's me, Kanoe. Yeah. Um, yeah. like- hey, ring, 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 ring. Yeah, uh, sharp eye. What can we get for you? <laughs> <laughs> That's how they answer the phone. That's good. Yeah, but then I'm going to be good. ordering some weird, like, no, Dan, non-Kanoa. Dan, you, you're Kanoa. Come on. Oh, you got oh, improv. You play. improv. It's, we're, it's yes and. Yes and. <laughs> this is Kanoa. Give me the keys. I oh, hey, Kanoa. <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite board? <laughs> See, I got to study up. I don't even know what he's riding. Yeah, just the black one. Yeah, whatever. Disco Inferno, <laughs> Inferno 72. Uh, all right. Good job, Hendo. Oh, maybe it is Hendo, then. Maybe Kanoa is Hendo. Am I? I think maybe if you guys put your heads together, you can get some free boards out of this. If you just, Hendo writes and Dan speaks, you just call them up. I like it. it. 
I, I could use a couple for sure. Well, that's it for the Instagram questions. Thank you all so much for writing in and be sure to check out our Instagram at the lineup pod. If you ever have more questions, we're happy to answer them because it's always a good time. Dave, sending the mic over to you. One final segment for our, our soon to be departed friend. Ryan Fawcett it is now time for the lightning round Ooh. presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. These are 10 questions. Answer as fast as you can. Ryan Fawcett, if you could Let's only go. have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza every time. Yes. Oh. Last book you read? Uh, the one, Malcolm Gladwell, How to Talk to Strangers. Best surf film ever? Surf's up. <laughs> one wave you never have to go back to? Uh, Bay Street. Oh. Only if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Uh, because I think it's more than just about the wave Malibu, because if you're only surfing Malibu, you're still living in Southern California and I can call all of you guys up and be like, Hey, let's go surf. That's an interesting answer. <laughs> Best person to share a lineup with. Uh, my, my friends at the WSL, my friends at the WSL. <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with. Uh, the people I am not friends with at the WSL. <laughs> Still WSL people, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Being uh, at home tonight watching some TV with my fiance and my dog. Wonderful. Ryan Fawcett, uh, we cannot thank you enough uh, for your uh, honorable and immeasurable contributions, not just to the WSL, not just to this podcast, but to surfing. Um we're, we're very, very fortunate to have had you. Um, we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. And uh, thanks to everyone on the break room. And, and thanks for making this special. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. If thanks, you wouldn't Ryan. mind uh, hearing those famous last words one more time for the podcast, Ryan. Oh, it's something I say after we hit, uh, stop finishing record. I always say, hey, that's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's showbiz, baby. That's a podcast. Uh, I hope you got that, Hendo. You, that's on you now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody that was fun awesome that's good no you're not gonna go to bay street anymore i don't know i just feel like it's always close out all right yeah, you're beyond you you're beyond bay street now huh? is this where i stop recording i press stop yeah <laughs> stop <laughs> okay so that's it that's the lineup's fourth installment of the break room i hope you enjoyed it Another big thank you to Lindsey Volk, Dan Willen, Kim Hogan, and Henry Bayer for talking shop. And a special thank you to Ryan Fawcett, producer, contributor, collaborator, and friend for his commitment and dedication to this podcast in its early stage. It would not be what it is without him, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Be sure you're watching the Mayo Vizla Aracera Pro to find out Who's next in terms of the qualifying battle for the 2022 WSL Championship Tour? All WSL Challenger Series events will be streaming live at worldsurfleague.com. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Willen, and additional support by Henry Bear. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. 
The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Quiche de Wagner Native American people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.